And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Sunday, March 20th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. So, oh, what do you got? You got the dude? You got I the got Lebowski? The yeah. Very nice. Nice shirt. I, I've got a plain, plain gray hoodie on nothing, <laughs> nothing on i got the cool hat on lake elsinore storm hat but oh uh, it is cool uh, one day early for this episode this is effectively the monday episode this week and it's because of travel you know gets to see live baseball and gets to talk to players again so there's some travel coming up on monday so we want to get this episode out plus i think in terms of news there's more than enough news here to run through an entire episode anyway so we're gonna get caught up on things that have happened since we last spoke including the most recent big free agent signing. We begin today with Trevor Story choosing the Red Sox. It is a six-year, $140 million deal with an option for a seventh year. It's a nice deal for him, for sure. And for now, at least, he's going to move over and play second base. If Xander Bogarts opts out and leaves, they have a future shortstop, potentially, if they want to move him back. But uh, this is not a pillow deal. This is Story landing in a good offense, and in a very good hitter environment, especially for a righty who could take advantage of the green monster the way Story should. Dude, it's the same deal that Javier Baez got. I think I would be a lot more comfortable with Story's offensive profile, even though the defense Baez's defense might help him age a little better that way. I'd I'd rather take the chance on Story's profile just just being. Good enough to get him to like that five win level a few more times before he starts to taper off again. I agree. I agree. Jeff Zimmerman had a rubric that was uh, a quick and easy way to translate uh, his stats because if you look at, you know, sort of the base level analysis of, hey, his home splits away from Colorado, uh, 241 average, he's a bum. Um, I, I'm not sure that's true. I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast about the Coors hangover effect. So what happens is when you're at home uh, in Colorado, you see a lot of fastballs because the breaking balls don't break as much. So you get used to the fastballs at home. And then when you go on the road, you're worse than expected on the road because you see all this junk. You see all this breaking balls, these breaking balls that you don't see at home. And uh, so if you do a two times the away plus one times the home split uh, on Colorado players. Zimmerman has found that that's a decent way to translate. And in fact, it's it's kind of funny. It lines up almost exactly what he's projected to do. So I'm not really actually giving you much information beyond what you could just get looking at the, the translations. But if you want to know what it is, two times home uh, and one times, uh, two times away and one times home for Trevor Story is 262, 330, 496. That's almost a direct match for his pro- his projections. So we're talking about a 260 hitter that's going to hit uh, 27 to 20 th- to 30 homers and steal you 15 to 20 bags. Yeah, I think the speed should hold up. It's still really good. The ADP, the weekend ADP from the NFBC is pick 37, right next to Marcus Simeon, interestingly enough. And I think they... They get there in a similar way in terms of their 5x5 five five value. I think the situation in Boston in terms of supporting cast is better. I think straight up, I actually mm. have a slight preference for Story, even though there's more, to me, there's a wider range of outcomes with Story. I think I'd be mm. inclined to take on that risk, um, in part because I think you're getting those 20 steals to go with that power. And I think maybe the average projection still sell him a little bit short. I know Colorado boosts players in a, in a significant way, but... Fenway does that too for righties because of the monster. So I think it it could be more like a 270, 275 average for Story. It might be a a higher batting average and lower homers because it actually does rob you from homers um, because it's so tall, but it creates hits. 
because it's so close. Um, it is interesting. I wonder. I think I prefer Simeon because of the, st the strikeout rate. Also, one asterisk for story that doesn't exist for Simeon, which is injury. There is something going on with him a little bit. He's lost a lot of arm strength. And there's some question about his shoulder, I think, because of that arm strength that he's lost. Well, you got the six-year deal, so hopefully they're for the sake of, uh, of Boston, <laughs> yeah, hopefully they're happy with what they see when they take a look when they take a look at his arm. But the the resulting question always when you add a player like this to a depth chart is who loses? Like, what's the what's the downside sort of adjustment? And I think it's you know, less Kike Hernandez at second base, more Kike Hernandez in the outfield, and more Kike in the outfield probably means less. Less Jaron Duran. Yeah, he's the big loser. Oh, that's it's a tough break for him because I, I think Duran. We all wanted those steals. <laughs> we wanted all those steals. Yeah, late speed is hard to find, but I don't know. In the outfield right now, I guess the way they're built, it's Verdugo, some combination of Kike and Duran. If Duran plays well, he's a lefty. Kike's a righty, so the platoon would eventually favor Duran if he earns the opportunity. And they're currently lined up to play Jackie Bradley Jr. a lot. So maybe it's not as bad for now unless they add another outfielder. That seems like it'd be on the table. Is the, yeah, I'm looking at it because right now at Fangrass, uh, Alex Verdugo is at uh, the top of the depth charts at left and right, <laughs> which is, uh, I'm sorry to say, physically impossible. It's not going to work. Nope, <laughs> not going to happen both. that way. Uh, but I would like to see here real quick uh, how... Let me see, free agent tracker with the outfield highlight. Or let me just look at who hasn't signed. Who hasn't signed? Michael Conforto still out there. Tommy yeah. Pham still out Tommy there. Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham. That would be a great place for Tommy Pham to land, I think. Um, and I think they it would help their team. And uh, a total possibility. He's going to cost less than Conforto. A slight hit for now for Duran, but a bigger hit would come if they add yet another outfielder to the mix. Basically a replacement for Hunter Renfro. I know JBJ going back, maybe they think they can get him on track again, and that's totally possible. And with his defense, they'd be inclined to play him a lot if they can fix him as a hitter, but no guarantees at this point, uh, just given how much of a collapse we saw in 2021. It wasn't just story this weekend. You know, Carlos Correa picked a new team as well, and he heads to Minnesota which I think if you gave me eh, seven or eight guesses at the beginning of the offseason mm -hmm. as to where Carlos Correa was going to go, Minnesota was not going to be in that group of seven or eight. I guess maybe the possibility of this happening became a long shot sort of reality once they made their moves earlier in the week. And then there was that report that they were interested in Trevor Story. If you're interested in Story, then you're interested in Correa. Turns out they get Correa. Interesting deal. Uh, he's They're on a three-year... $105.3 million deal, but there are opt-outs at the end of each season, right? So he can choose to go back into free agency at any time if he comes through and has a monster year in 2022 or in 2023. I mean, I think kudos to the Twins front office for having the mental flexibility to not just, you know, they were obviously clearing and everyone said, oh, they're going for story and they were going for story. But at some point, the story price got so high that they said, well, if we've already, you know, dedicated this much space, why don't we get the better player? And I'm, there might be people who doubt that Correa is a better player, but I just think his combination of patience, contact, ability to barrel the ball, and defense without any of that sort of shoulder uh, arm strength questions, I do think Correa is the better real-life baseball player, if maybe not the better fantasy player. Right. I think the lack of stolen bases gets most people to firmly prefer story to Correa in our game, but from a real-life perspective, I think you laid it out perfectly. Uh, it's interesting that the first two picks now from the 2012 draft are teammates with Correa and Byron Buxton playing together wow. in Minnesota. The depth chart for the Twins, I don't think there's as much of a, a loser here just because we knew there was a large share of playing time available. I would assume this puts Luis Arias back into his super utility role, whereas previously you could look at, at the infield and say, well, he's got to play every day if they don't add somebody, at least until they start bringing some young guys up. 
Now I think it's a lot easier to see him either sharing third base with Gio Urshela or even just moving around and giving everybody a day off here and there at, at various infield spots. Yeah, I'm interested uh, to see what happens with uh, Jose Miranda. Uh, there were times when he seemed, you know, cl- really close to the big leagues, and times where uh, he seemed further away. In this, in the same offseason, <laughs> his his stock has gone up and down. Um, I still believe that he is one of those interesting prospects that doesn't cost that much in drafts. That is at the stepping stone it'd be pretty easy to see an opportunity it's a little bit um like perhaps a prado in in uh kansas city where he's not he's not in the uh, in the lineup yet but you can see just like one thing has to go wrong carlos carlos santana just has to not be good anymore you know which is totally believable and prado might get his chance i think here the case is Urshela, I think, offensively is uh, is fungible. So, like, if he takes a step back offensively, I could see them wanting more from that position. But then it's just he's also Miranda's one injury way. Polanco gets injured, Urshela gets injured, Miranda's up. It's interesting that there are some depth charts where there's one clear-cut player who gets the bulk of the time if any one of five or six guys at, a very, at various positions gets hurt. With the Dodgers, it's Gavin Lux. With the Twins, mm-hmm. I think it is. I think it is Miranda. I think he'd be that guy at this point. Well, Mace it could Lewis be Arise, but I think that still there'd still be this opening where Arise goes to third, and then they'd have to call it Miranda to back up third and second. You know, right? And they'd want to play him if he's up. They're not going to just exactly use him once a week if he's on the roster. They're going to want to see what he can do with the opportunities. Have to think that the rumors of the Twins being interested in, in adding a starter are legit. I, <laughs> yeah, the, right. the A's seem like a, a great potential fit, but. Frankie Montas, you know, with years of control left still beyond this season, I think is a great fit. And maybe one of their major league ready position players would be a way to get that deal done. This this could be a situation that gets resolved by a trade at any moment. I've got the got the window open just in case we get some Sunday afternoon breaking news. You just never know. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think one more starter is still a priority addition for the Twins. If you've gone this far, you might as well go all the way in and, and try to make a run to win that AL Central this year. Yeah, I hate to say it because it seems kind of Asian, but Brent Rooker is 27 years old, strikes out too much, but barrels the ball really well. You know, that's the kind of thing that the A's, I think, would consider as part of the package. Yeah, they could even go that route. It might not take Royce Lewis or Austin Martin or even Jose Miranda to get a deal done. It might take just a combination of players a bit further down. I've seen them this, take the quantity back several yeah, times. Yeah, and they, the the they haven't really gotten top end talent according to you know public prospect lists. So I could see them doing something like that again. Maybe maybe uh, it's a little bit more tilted towards the pitching side and they get Balazovic or something like that. But um, you know, there's uh, there's definitely seems to be a deal to be made here. Sunny Gray and and uh, hope for rain is not a plan. I don't think. Nah, there's probably there's probably an injured pitching prospect that the Twins have that the A's like. So <laughs> oh, probably God. start there with uh, who would be going back in the return. Uh, so if, if you're you're waiting for Royce Lewis or Austin Martin or Miranda to get the chance in Minnesota, don't worry, it could still happen because it's probably an injured pitcher that's going the other way. Uh, the Phillies made two moves since you and I last spoke, spending a lot of money on guys that can hit and maybe guys that aren't necessarily known for their defense. Hey, but it's fun. It's fun to get guys that can go out there and this mash. Is a, this is a close to a murderer's row. I, I could, especially if Bohm comes comes forward this year. Yeah, and now at this point, Bohm is just an extra guy. So if he does hit, it's just gravy. Uh, but Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber both go to the Phillies. I could not have concocted a scenario in which this happened. If you said, "What? Give me, give me your wildest off-season <laughs> scenario for the Phillies," would not have even gone down this road as one of those outcomes. It changes a lot about the look of their offense. I think if there's you know flaws with the bullpen, flaws with the defense, they can out hit a lot of those flaws when everybody's healthy in this lineup. Yeah, it's crazy. The Bad X uh, said that the Phillies are the second best team in the big leagues. Um, I don't know. That doesn't quite jive with my non-mathematical you know appraisal of the situation <laughs> doesn't align with your gut yeah it doesn't align with my gut and it also doesn't align with the fan projected standings which have them seventh 
with 88 wins. But I have to say, you know, that's one of the better projections I've seen for the Phillies in the last few years. It's one of the better teams that definitely improved that bullpen where, you know, I think Knable is the closer, but when in Alvarado, Familia, Hand, and even Coonrod, I think they've got guys that could close if it's not Knable. And they've got a lot of stuff without any command in that bullpen. So uh, it could really go either way, <laughs> I think. But, uh, but you know, it's good to bet on stuff. Um, they, there's got some undervalued guys in the, in the rotation in, in NOLA, I think, and Gibson. Wheeler is throwing again. I did draft an OC on Friday and uh, took Wheeler as my first pitcher, I think, uh, in the third or fourth round. The thing that my read on the situation was, it was the him and the Zach Gallon thing. Like I don't want to overreact to it because what they were, what they said was I had some shoulder soreness over the lockdown, you know, over the lockout, and they don't seem to be reporting it in the present, and they're both throwing in the present. So I'm choosing to be like a little bit optimistic about those situations versus like a Jack Flaherty who's shut down, you know, right. So uh, we'll see if I got a discount on Wheeler or if. Uh, you know, I hurt myself with that pick, but I think that Wheeler could actually represent a little bit of a value right now. Well, when you look at the first two players we talked about today with Story and Correa, I don't think a lot has changed about their value relative to draft market expectations. Maybe Story creeps up a little bit. I think with Correa, it's going from a great lineup in Houston to a pretty good one in Minnesota, going from a park that has, you know, the friendly Crawford boxes for a righty. If you pull the ball, of course, you're going to be rewarded for that to one in Minnesota where you've seen right-handed pull power get rewarded in, in recent years, kind of going back even to, to Brian Dozier. I do think with both Castellanos and Schwarber, we're going to see some ADP helium kicking in because Citizens Bank Ballpark is very hitter-friendly and the quality of this lineup is something people are absolutely taking note of. And You mentioned the bad X projections. It's just it's one of the best spots to be in the league as far as your your RBI and run potential. Probably second only to the Dodgers at this point. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty nice uh, situation. Uh, the projected uh, standings have like a, a run score component, and so you can see it goes Dodgers, Blue Jays, Braves, Yankees, Phillies by that metric uh, projected run scored per game. Uh, but I could see it being a little closer. I think I could see the Phillies being third. I really like the Blue Jays lineup, so um, I, I I totally trust that projection. But Phillies versus Braves and Yankees lineup, I think they I think they pulled close. Yeah, I think Castellanos had an early pick this weekend in the NFBC of 32 ADP clocked in around oh pick 55, God. but. There's, Is that a value? That 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 seems that seems too much. Maybe at 55, but. I can't imagine pushing him up to that that max. Schwarber was going around pick 106, had an early pick of 63. Whew. That's steep. Oh, you know what? The, the the auction calculator does love Castellanos. It says he's a $27 hitter, the equal of Aaron Judge and Kyle Tucker. It's just crazy because he doesn't steal bases. Yeah, and that, that player type generally gets discounted see like George Springer as an example and I realized Springer missed a lot of time last year with an injury Castellanos was was healthy uh, I, I think there's there's also a little frustration on my part because I've been staying away from Castellanos this draft season assuming that wherever he went wouldn't, wouldn't be, be as, nice as, as hitter friendly as Cincinnati <laughs> but he landed in a place that's just about as good and with a better supporting cast so that's uh, the tough L for me yeah, and the nice thing about Castellanos, I think that is hidden in this, is the the really nice batting average. So he's got a really plus hit tool, and so I think that you know doesn't have the steals, but he can maybe provide you the batting average to then pair him with like a Grisham later or something, right? You know, somebody who's going to hit two forty and steal some bases for you. So ADP, would you rather Castellanos for you over George Springer? Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Uh, yes, because Springer is not going to uh, steal many bags either, and he's not going to have the same batting average. Let's try. Let's try a little higher. Let's try different position, but Pete Alonso versus Nick Castellanos. 
I mean, the calculator says yes, and I'm also not going to get any stolen bags from Alonzo, so I'd rather have that package of like a near 300 average and the power versus a low average and all that power from Alonzo. I think it's about as early as you could go, and it probably requires you to have already found at least some steals with one of your earlier picks if you're going mm-hmm. to take Nick Castellanos up there with Schwarber. Oof, where is he going to go? Let's see. Looking for a would-you-rather comp on him. Schwarber might make the leap into the the Stanton, Yelich, Brian Reynolds, J.D. Martinez cluster of outfielders. That might be where he settles in. Kind of back of the top 100 between 85 and 90 overall, maybe. I mean, that's, that's a high bar to clear. And that's one where the auction calculator says no. Says take Brian Reynolds, take Christian Yelich, take JD Martinez. There's a three dollar gap between the two. As good as Schwarber could be, and the power ceiling is, I mean, forty plus home runs are fully in play for him right now. I just feel like we've seen his ceiling, like you know, like he's taking a batting average hit, a pretty big batting average hit for an early round player. If you're going to take Schwarber rather at that uh, increased price, so. Kudos to the Phillies for spending the money and uh, making it happen. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Speaking of power, Jorge Soler goes to Miami. He gets a three-year deal. There's some opt-outs in that one. Soler power. It's good for everyone. The, The question I have for you with Jorge Soler is really just about what a reasonable skills floor is for him. Is is Jorge Soler that different than Kyle Schwarber? I mean, the park situation and the lineup context are very different, even though the Marlins are getting legitimately better, right? They're not a bottom three, bottom five lineup as currently constructed. They're a lot, level better than that. It's a pitcher-friendly ballpark. There's batting average risk. But I wonder if, if we're underselling Jorge Soler just a little bit because the K-rate last year... Quietly was a career best, 23.6%. He's always drawn walks. And the raw power, I mean, that home run that he hit in the World Series still Mm -hmm. hasn't landed, as everyone keeps saying. So is he more like a Schwarber-type player than people are giving him credit for, just from like a Roto perspective? Yeah, seems like it. Uh, The projections for his batting average just don't reach the same as, as Schwarber. They're just, they're all kind of sure that he's going to be like a 235 to 240 hitter whereas Schwarber gets a little bit of a boost beyond that. But neither is going to be an asset. So like, what do you, what's the difference between 240 and 250? Both of them are going to pull you down a little bit. Yeah, and I just think, look at the barrel rates that Soler has run the last three seasons. Mm-hmm. 16% back in 2019, 18.5% in the shortened season, 12.4% last year. So you're getting a, a barrel machine, no question about playing time, kind of built to DH, maybe will occasionally play the outfield. Um, I, I like him quite a bit. I, I, I'm just curious to later. see yeah, how much he'll, he'll jump. He'll jump because he, we know the volume is there. But the, for just for comparison, the earliest he went, any draft this weekend, I guess the news on him broke a little later. Pick 142. Mm-hmm. So even if you push him up into the 120 range, other outfielders that go around there, you're looking at, there aren't that many outfielders. It's really more like Josh Bell over at first base. I'll take him over Max, Adam Duvall. Max Muncie. Oh yeah, I, I think... Compared to compared to guys he was going near, he's clearly better now. But I just wonder where that line is where you could say, okay, this is too much. Uh, people are, are expecting too much from Jorge Soler. What about like Franmil Reyes versus Jorge Soler? Like they seem pretty similar in terms of their profile makeup. I'll take, I'll take Reyes. I think I might take Soler. Hmm. I don't think it's a landslide, but I, I think my, my confidence in Soler comes from that walk rate. I know the walks don't directly help us in fantasy. I mean, you can get on base and go score a run. You'd rather but a guy it's a good, put the good ball in play. Approach. It's a little little better played approach than Reyes, but Reyes has kind of quietly leveled out with a good walk rate too. I think there were a few questions about that when he broke in. K rate's a little higher on Reyes though, so I'm Soler Reyes over also Reyes. Younger, so you know, there's a, he's 26. There's still a chance for a peak season. 
still possible. And both of these teams have to play these guys a lot. So I, I think that's the sort of range, though, where we could see Jorge Soler going kind of in the 125 overall range now that we know he's in Miami. He's got a spot to call his own. Perhaps the absolute weirdest signing of the entire weekend. The award goes to Atlanta. Kenley Jansen to Atlanta, one year, $16 million deal. Was that just a retaliatory signing because of the <laughs> Freddie Freeman to LA thing? Or they like, you know what? You took one of our guys and it looks weird. We're taking one of your guys and it's going to look weird the other way. I mean, there's some there's some savings that Olsen represents and it's possible <laughs> that's you know the, the Olsen savings went into Jansen. <laughs> and Colin McHugh and bringing back Eddie Rosario uh, and I know it's it's uh, whatever. But yeah, right. <laughs> When you boil it down for Jansen, there's a few things. Like I, I thought any team that brought him in most likely saw him as a closer. And I think you get the sense that Atlanta does see him as the closer. Will Smith probably moves into a pretty consistent setup role. They could do a committee thing, give Jansen 30 out of 40 chances and give Smith the other 10. I guess that's possible. But how much do you worry about the walk rate being up last season when you start to drill in and, and see that a lot of the struggles Jansen had were concentrated to one month, right? It was, it was July was the month where Kenley Jansen was just brutal last year. And otherwise he pitched pretty well. Well, there is that thing that the, uh, what is it here? Oh, this is the wrong spreadsheet, but, uh, he was one of the people that lost the most spin rate over the course of last season. And it's, something that bugs me to report on but it's something that actually happened so let me see what i have here these are biggest losers in stuff percentage pre and post enforcement and the very bottom goes corinne shack richard rodriguez kenley jansen he went from a 116 stuff plus to 104 yeah those other two guys uh you know were demoted and pushed off of rosters and Jansen at least righted the ship came back August September and, and pitched kind of like he had pitched prior to July so and, and there is stuff that I really like about what Kenley Jansen has done which is that he didn't sort of rest on his laurels and you know go as far as his cutter would take him for the rest of his career he in fact went and went hard to work to to create a sinker uh, that he throws now 27% of the time last year, uh, and a slider they threw 15% of the time. So he's he's no longer a one-pitch pitcher, and I think that has been good uh, to sort of give him a, a, a larger repertoire that's, uh, that makes it tough on ground hitters. So I do like that aspect. So assuming you agree that he's the guy over Will Smith, Will Smith is a clear loser, I feel like the... The winners are the contenders for saves in other places. It's <laughs> like Corey Knebel is a winner. <laughs> Corey Knebel is a winner. Jordan yeah. Romano is safer. I mean, he might have been yeah. pretty safe anyway. Joe Barlow in Texas seems like a winner of Kenley Jansen going to Atlanta. Now the, the last shoe to drop really is, uh, is the Kimbrel situation, right? Right. And I just wonder if they're going to have to accept the fact they're just not going to get anything of significant long-term value back oh, in the return. Yeah. Everyone knows right now, and they've added so many bullpen arms this offseason. Any shred of trade leverage they had has <laughs> completely vanished. Yeah, they're hoping to get somebody with that's, that fits their team, I think, at this point. I think that's about it, even if it's on a one-year deal, You know, even after losing Nick Madrigal. So winners outside of Atlanta, one loser in Atlanta with Kenley Jansen's arrival. I don't think it pushes Jansen up the board really at all. I think people were appropriately valuing him with oh, the high Blake probability. Oh, goes way up. I don't think the Dodgers are trading for Craig Kimbrell, are they? It's, that's a good that's a good follow-up because Trinan, they're insisting they're going to try a committee. Okay, like, sure. but Who's in the committee then? Who's in the committee? Uh, Hudson? I don't think it's Gratterall. He shows the ball, man. Like I don't, I don't, I don't think it. I think it could be Vessia and Hudson, maybe. Vessia if it's a lefty. Hudson if you like trying him better for matchups prior to the ninth inning. Mm. I guess like I, trying to dissect what a committee might look like. Trying could be a little bit easier to get you a ground ball double play. So trying you can might want to bring in with people on 
you know, you're like saving them for the ninth, but then in the eighth, they get a bunch of people on. So you bring him on early and then Hudson gets the last out and gets like a weird save, you know, run around first in, in like the eighth that. or something. Yeah. It's two hitter, three hitters up. You're yeah. bringing in trying and just to try and clean it up there. Yeah. And then you you might have two outs left and you just give it to somebody. He's getting 30 saves. Come on. Like, let's... Yeah, that's, what I, that's how I think. <laughs> I mean, these, this thing that we just described will probably happen, but it won't happen like 30 times. They're also going to win 110 games. Yeah, so... Exactly. Yeah. so there's room for all these things to happen. I'll take my chances on the largest share of the committee on a team that's that good that's going to win a lot. So yeah. Trinan versus Kenley Jansen around pick 100 might actually mm. be a decision we have to make in a few weeks. Wasn't like that over the weekend, but I think we're we're getting there. I think the the interest in Trinan is going to continue rising based on but that spin loss thing. And just uh, Trinan has the best stuff plus in, in baseball. Like, I don't know, man. I think I'm going Trinan. Trinan versus Jordan Romano. Who would you take? Well, it's closer now. I've been taking Romano because I thought the, the job was safer. It's closer now. I still want that Kimbrel shoe to drop, though. I'd love to see it. I think we may have to wait until the season starts for a team to actually <laughs> oh, trade for him. Jeez, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Rick Hahn is pooping his pants right now. Yeah, he'll be fine. Super bullpens <laughs> are fun. It makes it's it's like kid proofing the bullpen. So Tony Larusa can't push the wrong button. <laughs> they make them all good. Yeah, if the whole bullpen is good, you can't make a bad tactical decision with your bullpen. I think that's a a, a good hack. Luke Voigt is now a San Diego Padre. Works out great. They were not built for the universal DH, as we've discussed before. Mm-hmm. If they were to finally part ways with Eric Hosmer at some point during the season, there's not really any indication that they're going to do that anytime soon. But if they were, they could play void at first and go back to floating the DH. But this is awesome. And I think in terms of the earliest he went over the weekend, pick 191 was actually the earliest he went. That's still pretty good value because I think he's an everyday guy. I think it's only health that would keep him from playing nearly every day this season. I think you could see you could see Luke Voigt probably justify going closer to pick 150 where you see Ty France going because you're getting more power, albeit probably with a bit less average. But I think Voigt's kind of a key to the San Diego offense, especially with Tatis down. I wonder if they haven't updated in uh, the auction calculator yet because he's projected for 348 plate appearances and that tanks his value. I love it. I I love it. I love finding things like that so you can get on it before everybody's projections are fixed. Don't don't you think it seems like you would rather have him than Dahlbeck? Just thinking about their their overall lines. Like, Voight has power. He's going to have a better batting average. Bobby Bobby Dahlbeck has been winning the first uh, few days of spring training, but yes, I would rather have Luke Voight. So that means uh, you're talking about a guy who's going to have maybe eight to nine dollars value at the end of the season and be there with like Belt and Rizzo. It's possible, but I think behind them. But but in that group, it sounds about right. The good thing is Voight might not creep up into that pick 150 range. He may right, remain a, a good value. Yeah. yeah, it could be a corner viable option, or if you waited too long at first base and just need somebody that can exceed expectations, I think that could be exactly what he brings to the table. I like righties a lot more in San Diego than lefties too, just based on how the park plays for hitters on different sides of the plate. Yeah, we didn't talk too much about the Tatis injury. The word on the street is that Haseon Kim is going to get everyday reps and it's not going to be a Cronenworth situation. I have a little bit of love for Haseon Kim still. The barrel rate was unimpressive, but the max EV was good. Um, and I don't, I'm not trying to say that, like, here's this one number, so therefore Haseon Kim is good. What I'm saying is those two numbers don't match the way that they normally match. You know what I mean? He's got a lower-than-expected barrel rate given his max EV. So there's something there that says we don't know all of the story yet, you know, which I think makes sense. I think he came. He struggled at first. He had bonkers numbers in the KBO. So I really do think this is a guy that if you gave him a full season – could write the ship you see a, a decent enough contact rate i could see someone who can hit 250 with like 20 homers and 10 steals if it was like if he was given the full season um so that could be really useful for some people just looking maybe for a stopgap or maybe for even a kim uh for a tatis uh replacement because at least he would give you a little bit in each of the places that tatis would have given you a lot you know 
And since Tatis opted to have surgery for that fracture, the expectation is that it's going to take about three months for him to get back. So we're talking maybe mid-June before he's ready to play in games again. That's a long window for that Padres offense to try and get by. And I think with Kim, same as any player trying to make adjustments to the big leagues. We saw this with Yoshi Satsugo, whose first season coming over from Japan was in 2020. I just think the last two seasons have been miserably difficult to adjust to life in a new place and I would give players who came over from a different country a bit more of a pass just to kind of see like what what does one more year hold what does another 300 plus plate appearances hold for Kim I would reserve judgment until we see that and he is young relatively speaking too still just 26 years old so a lot of ways it could still go right for him with this added playing time in the early part of the season Tyler Anderson ended up in the Dodgers rotation mix over the weekend. I know you liked Anderson a bit last year, you know, and I think anytime, anytime we either have a depth guy that ends up with the Dodgers or even someone like Andrew Heaney, who they go out and get right away, it kind of turns on the, the bat signal, so to speak, where you say, Hmm, I wonder, I wonder what they see in him. I wonder what they like about him as well. They seem to understand what they're doing when it comes to finding pitching uh, on the scrap heap. So, one year, $8 million to Tyler Anderson. No guarantees about an early season rotation spot, but another guy that could certainly give them bulk if they need it. Yeah, I wonder how bad this is for Tony Gonsolin because he is the exact opposite of Tony Gonsolin. Tony Gonsolin does not have, a, well, I guess he has four pitches, but he does not have command of them. And he has some decent stuff, but he has no command. And then Tyler Anderson comes in with a bevy of pitches a ton of pitches, but and great command of them, but you know, not the most, you know, not the most stuff heavy stuff front. Like look at his strikeout rates. You know, he's barely even gotten eight per nine over his career. But uh, he does come with good command and a lot of pitches, and he can maybe provide uh, more innings. You might expect more innings from somebody like Tyler Anderson than you would from Tony Gonsolin. So I have a sneaking suspicion that Tyler Anderson will be in the rotation to start the season if it's either at Tony Gonsolin's expense or at spring injury or Kershaw saying he's behind just means that he starts on the IL for two for two weeks and, and that you know so Tyler Anderson gets a few starts. Some of the starts could be useful. So he, he becomes Tyler Anderson becomes a guy that I was considering even in the bench in my twelve teamer because you either find out that he's in the rotation for the first two weeks and maybe he has a good matchup, or uh, you find out that he's not in the rotation, he's easy to drop. Yeah, I think you're you're probably right that with Gonsolin, the shoulder injury seemed to change a lot for him. We just haven't seen the same guy. I think it's encouraging if you've been tracking Clayton Kershaw. He started the Dodgers' spring debut against the Brewers. That was Friday. My days are starting to run together again a little bit. He just looked like himself. It was only one inning, so he was in and out of there pretty quickly. And yeah, where he's at workload wise when the season that's, starts. That's a decent that's as decent place as you can be right now for most starters, right? Like how behind is he? There's other people who haven't even pitched yet. If you're pitching in games the first time through the spring rotation, that's a pretty good sign that you're healthy. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised, man. Well, I think with the Dodgers too, the elephant in the room and, and I I just hate talking about him in general because I rarely have anything to actually add to the conversation, mostly because Major League Baseball keeps kicking the can down the road. The Dodgers don't say anything. It's, of course, it's Trevor Bauer. His administrative leave was extended through April 16th. He's going to be the first player ever to uh, to go to, to basically appeal uh, a suspension like this. He's going to fight it all the way. Right. I think that's very clear when you see first off how he publicly reacted and celebrated Deshaun Watson getting a record-breaking deal mm. from the Browns on Friday. Um, mm. I, 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 if I sound like I'm struggling to find the words, I'm blown away that this is the the path we're going down. Uh, mm. Just from the wow, like the the league. I don't think the league ever expected a player. To do something like this and then take this time and fight it this way. Yeah. And I think that's part of why this is taking so long. Now, there's a laundry list of reasons why we should be skeptical about the league's investigation into alleged sexual assaults, right? Like, there's, mm. th- there's just plenty of reason to believe that 
leagues and teams want stories like this to just go away. Yeah, that their best interest is for no story. And if you wait and you wait and you wait, you can come out at the end when you when you meet out a punishment that is lighter than what a lot of people feel would be fair. You can say, well, we took a lot of time to look into this. And you mm. can be vague about what you did because you don't, have you, to, you don't have to share the details of how you investigated the mm. story. You don't have to share the details of what you actually found while you were investigating the story. So all of that is is just taking a horrible situation and making it take even longer. I have no idea if we're going to see him pitch in a game again this year. I don't want to see Trevor Bauer pitch in a game ever again. I Honestly, the rest of my life would be better if I never saw him pitch in a game again. But I think I'm finally old enough to know. I've seen enough horrible situations like this across sports as an adult to understand that it's probably not going to play out that way. So when we get a resolution, I don't know. He's. I mean, I think he's a lock to pitch this season. Right. And it's... It's just awful. Like I, I'm, I'm not okay with that. There's nothing I can do about it, but I'm not okay with it. Yeah. So let's uh, let's do a hard, hard transition segue. Let's get out of this one. Zoom. <laughs> <No. laughs> yeah, I didn't know what the sound. I mean, it's just like that. That situation sucks. Period. There's nothing. I have Ding. nothing else to say right now. <laughs> and next, <laughs> do the right thing, MLB. Even though I know you won't. Or the, uh-huh. the Dodgers. You're not powerless in this situation either, but you, you'll pretend like you are. Drew Smiley uh, has signed with the Cubs. Uh, they, do, they do have a type, the Cubs. They continue to add these softer tossing guys. But Smiley throws pretty hard for a Cub. So I think he's interesting because Wade Miley's behind schedule. And I would say they had an unsettled spot in the back of their rotation anyway. Now we saw it over mostly a starter's workload from Smiley last year in Atlanta. 29 appearances, 23 were starts, 448 ERA, 137 whip. Maybe it's just bad ratios and cheap strikeouts, but I do think a guy with a home run issue pitching half his games at Wrigley Field could actually be a pretty useful streamer, especially in the NL Central. And early in the season, colder. There is something with Wrigley where you have to stay on top of the way the wind is going, and I don't know exactly where the, the, that information is parsed out, but it is it's out there for you to be found. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, I do think that it really matters which way the wind is blowing irregularly and Smiley could be a really good play on days when it's blowing in. I also think he is in the rotation, man. I mean, if Miley's behind and Alzale is out for two months, they said, which has surprisingly uh, hurt me. <laughs> uh, I think it might be Smiley and Brolt, Brolt at the end there. Stephen Brault, kind of the competition, probably the loser hangs around as a long reliever. Justin Steele may be quietly emerging to be an option for the Cubs to begin the season as well. It also means that well. Alec Mills is like a guarantee, seems like. Uh, he's, I think he's got to earn the spot. Yeah. I think so. Well, look at this. Manager David Ross said Miles has secured a spot in the Cubs opening day rotation pending further additions to the roster. Now, he said that th- on the 15th. Now, when did they sign? <laughs> they said that before they signed Smiley. Oh, everything changes now. We got Drew Smiley. Right. But keep an eye on the Miley situation, too, because if he's a little behind schedule, that could temporarily open up a spot. I still think the Cubs, for the number of people they've added to the roster, they're still better. not that good, though. But they're still, yeah, they're still going to like a very average team if everything hits. They are full-on playing the middle right now. Their bullpen has so much dark green ink in it, which on roster resource, I'm referring to players that have signed as free agents or were acquired this offseason. Oh, it's all one-year deals, too. It's amazing. I, I almost want to write about this. They signed Chris Martin, David Robertson, Michael Givens, Daniel Norris, and Jesse Chavez all to one-year deals. I yeah. love it. It's kind of, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's crazy. It, None of those guys me, were at the top of the market either. It gives me Although giants. Givens, I like. I giants like vibes. Giant. Giants vibes, yeah. It's like their spin on what oh, the Oh, God, giants it totally do. is Giants vibes because they got VR to play third. They already had Patrick Wisdom, so they got, they're got they like, we got VR to play three different plays. It's totally Giants vibey. Oh, my God. 
Yep. Oh, yeah. Nico Horner's got options. I guess I bet they're going to use those this year. Yeah. Clint Frazier's still got options left. They might have to use those at some point. Five, 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 five. Yep. Oh, Ian Happ's even got options. Wow. Let's see if oh, we can use no. that. Oh, don't don't no. go that far with it, Please. Cubs. <laughs> don't don't be jerks about it. Uh, Michael Pineda landed with the Tigers. It sounded like he's a little behind. I was trying to figure out if it was because of any sort of injury or if it was just because of the timing of arriving into camp a little bit later. Yeah, just a late start. I guess an issue with his work visa. So May not be ready for his first turn in the rotation due to getting a late start and an issue with his work visa. Hmm. Maybe misses a turn or two in the rotation. I don't know if we really can assume he would miss any more than that right now. We know the issues with Michael Pineda at this point. It's home runs. The control is fine. The strikeout rate's a little lower than you'd like it to be. But this is a good landing place for him then. And if mm-hmm. if they need him in the rotation, if they're if they're gonna play him in the rotation, I think I think he's a wait and see, but it's like uh, an early AL only uh fab run sneaky two dollar, you know, put him in my rotation kind of thing. And maybe even for fifteen team mixers, the first time he is in the rotation, once he's ready to go, you're not necessarily drafting him and waiting a couple of weeks, but you might pick him up and you might be surprised with a good stretch of schedule what he's able to do. I think he's in their starting five. Basically what it comes down to, if they're going to go Erod, Scooble Mize, and Manning, which is Manning pitching well to keep that spot. If that's their first four, there's one spot left for Pineda, Willie Peralta, Chase Anderson, and Drew Hutchison. That's easily Pineda's spot. He's got the inside track, even though I think the Willie Peralta resurgence last year is good enough to get him on the roster. Anderson is close. Uh, Anderson could push him. I mean, it could be Anderson versus Pineda. But I would give the edge to Pineda there. I'd give Pineda the edge over Peralta. I'd probably give Tyler Alexander the edge over Chase Anderson and Drew Hutchison, too, if you're trying to figure out who's going to stick around as the long reliever. He does have the added benefit of being left-handed. Seems uh, to be a good thing in baseball to be left-handed. I think, and especially if you're going to keep an extra guy around and that can be between the bullpen and the rotation, having them be left-handed, I think, is pretty good. Couple other smaller signings to get to the Rangers, adding a couple of players. I think they had added Brad Miller the last time we spoke. I don't know if we talked much about it. They also added. We said he he's the 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 guy who's going to play third. Yeah, Matt Carpenter also there trying to uh, get one last uh, summer in the sun. Yeah, and I know people who think that the, that their Matt Carpenter is one tweak away from rediscovering some of his brilliance. Um, here's a guy that does have good play defensively and has been barreling the ball for years and uh it's a little bit intriguing to me to hear this idea that he could be a tweak away it's a little bit rough to like try to squeeze carpenter and miller on this roster i suppose maybe then miller would be the dh and carpenter would be the starting third baseman and then the big loser would be willie calhoun who would then be in a full battle for with nick solak maybe for a position it's weird that the Rangers have quickly become a team with the offseason they had where you can start to say they might have too many useful bats, at least at the bottom part of the roster. It's not mm-hmm. top to bottom, one through nine, some kind of great American League lineup, but at least they have at least they have good players who aren't guaranteed playing time. That is a big step forward from them compared to where they were this time last year. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, we've liked Andy Banyas on this podcast and He's sort of back into, you know, having to sort of play his way past some veterans to to get playing time again. Yeah, how, how much can they punt on third base defense? That's the that's the question that comes well, into this. Fewer with Miller and Carpenter play every year, and you know, with the shift, didn't think we'd see Matt Carpenter playing third base again. But hey, you know, sometimes <laughs> things that work out that way. Colin Moran landed in Cincinnati, part of their shuffle. Big side platoon DH now that they've opened up some playing time. Yeah, that seems plausible. I mean, he's also leaving one of the worst parks, so there's going to be some some park-related papering over. Uh, projections say he's basically a slightly below league average bat. Um, I don't know. As a lefty batter, I could see them getting more use of it than him than that. Uh, Aquino is a righty, right? seems weird to make Aristides Aquino on this team, this kind of rebuilding team, this younger player, to make him the small side platoon DH. But Aquino is a flawed player too, so it's not yeah. like it's not like they're wasting, you know, a real shot at superstardom. I mean, it did seem like that at first when Aquino came up. Like, remember that was that was pretty nutty. 
Oh, the, he, he, like, the home run binge? Like, yeah, he, yeah, ni- yeah, like 10 19, homers. 19, 19 homers in 56 games. It was only 225 <laughs> plate appearances. He was also 7 for 7 as a base dealer. If you were saying, try to find another Adelis Garcia, well, I, I guess Aristides Aquino maybe doesn't play center field the same way, but give him the playing time, and I think you'd be surprised. He could, in his range of outcomes, with his flaws, with his swing and miss, do that kind of damage power-wise and and run a little bit on top of that. And maybe now he's only one injury away from getting that chance. There, There is a position open, I think, in Cincinnati. There still is. Right field is a collection of Flotsam and Jetsam. It includes Tyler Naquin, Max Schrock, somebody named Friedel. You might be underselling Sugar Tyler Rocky Naquin a little bit. Yeah. I think they like him. And I think they're, not, they're not without reason for liking fully him. Fully open, but he's a 30-year-old who's, you know, has one above-average season on his resume. He's 10% better than league average last year. 105 WRC plus in the partial season he was able to play in 19. A lot of injuries have slowed him down. It's like I'm not in the business of defending anything the Reds do. I, mm-hmm. I want to point and laugh as much but as you I think possibly he's a can. Player, at least as a platoon. I think he's a, he's think he's a pretty steady big side platoon player. Yeah. And he's high in the lineup too when he plays. So I think those runs and RBIs might exceed expectations based on where he hits and where he gets to play half his games. Yeah, well, still some opportunity there, I think. Especially since Senzel gets injured often, so it Man. might be Fraley in center, Senzel to the IL, and then left field is open. So they've got a lot of lefties between Naquin, Votto, Moustakis, and Moran, and Fraley. So five lefties projected to be in the lineup. You can't mix and match everybody. I assume Votto obviously plays all the time, so that doesn't matter. Who's the other one? They got to play probably two of those guys against lefties consistently. Is Moustakis the second one? It well, probably should be. Solano as a as a possible platoon. I think, yeah, I guess if you got Solano, you want to play him some. Oh, let's build a bench. We used to play this. Let's build a bench. Or, well, or here's what you're doing. You're, you're Okay, so you can DH, you could DH Moose those days, play Solano at third if you like his defense better. And so Moose is still getting kind of full playing time, but not He's always still, in the field. Still playing. I think it's Moran, Moran and Fraley, and then probably Naquin are the three lefties that come out for any righties you have on the bench. But they only got two righties on the bench, so they can only really sit two. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder who I wonder who will play through those bad platoon splits. But the bench is probably Farmer, Solano. Is Farmer a righty? Farmer's a righty. Oh, there's your righty. Oh, Barrero. I'm forgetting about Barrero. What am I doing? Well, Barrero's an everyday starter for me. Yeah, and he's, for one reason or another, not listed as their starter right now. But I, I just, okay, fine. Maybe he's not the guy on opening day. Maybe he's not the guy on the second Monday of the season. He's the guy by May 15th. He's the guy when the season ends. It, he I has to be their that. starting shortstop, right? He's clearly their best option there. Benches uh, Shogo Akiyama, Aristides Aquino, Donovan Solano, and Kyle Farmer. Right. And Andrew Knapp. We've That's... solved one small problem in Cincinnati. <laughs> I don't even... Like, it was just a, a prompt about Colin Moran. <laughs> He's there now. Uh, but no, in deep, deep leagues, there could actually be a little something there. The big park upgrade actually matters, and he should play enough where he's not going not gonna to hurt you in deeper formats. Yeah. Uh, how about this bit of spring news? Mackenzie Gore looked really good in his spring debut. Velo was back in the upper 90s again. I had kind of pushed him aside just because it was such a meandering road for him to even sort of poor season get back. Year. It was just so disastrous last year. Like I, I, I set my expectations to zero and now I'm starting to build them back up. Mackenzie Gore throwing 95, 96 from the left side with control has a role on this team because how would you not use him? I'm trying to, uh, we're, we're trying to get uh, minor league and spring training stuff going. I, I would just love to know. I would just love to know the shapes of these pitches. Yeah, I I would as well. But I think he's at least on my reserve list radar now, whereas even just a week ago, I was kind of saying, I'm going to throw the dart somewhere else, at least now for deeper leagues. I want to I want to know what happens in the next three weeks. And if I have to roster him and then cut him to find out, fine. I can live with that. Yeah, it just seems like he's, he's not in because even if somebody in the top five is not ready or is hurt, uh, Paddock has been pitching all right too. 
and Paddock is among the players that are healthy right now. So I think that's certainly good news for the Padres. Good problem to have. They've got a bunch of guys that have elevated injury risk. They've got guys that have had Tommy John before. You need well more than five starters to actually get through a season anyway. Uh, but just an encouraging spring note that I saw going into the weekend. How about these other updates, though? Starling Marte has an oblique injury. He is still mm. not hitting because he's a Met, and that's how it has to work now, I guess. That that stinks yeah. because Marte's a good player. We, we need guys that steal bases. Leading off in that lineup especially could be a great source of runs scored. I, I hope I hope they're just doing the right thing, giving him the extra time, and he's going to be okay in a week or so, and he'll be able to play on opening day. But we're definitely hitting that point maybe this time next week where if someone's still behind schedule, still limited to either rehab work or they're not doing anything, we're going to have to start looking at those players as early season IL candidates. Yeah. I think if that happens, Dominic Smith steps to the fore. I know J.D. Davis is taking his reps mostly at third. You could maybe do something with NLDH where J.D. Davis plays more than Dominic Smith, but you just need someone to still play in the outfield. You'd probably shift Nimmo over to center, and there'd be an outfield opening. McNeil is supposedly the starter at second. So that says to me Dominic Smith benefits if Stanley Marte sits. Luis Urias has a quad injury. He is going to be shut down for two weeks, not expected to be available for opening day. I think the the cover there for the Brewers, and they've they've been pretty proactive with soft tissue injuries like this the last couple of seasons where once you get out in front of it, you're fine, but you can kind of round up on the timetables a little bit. That's just the way they've been playing it, which probably is the smart way to do it in the long run. I don't think you're going to get a whole lot of value from the replacements. It's likely going to be a combination of Jace Peterson against and righties Brasso. and Mike Brasso against lefties. Yeah, not enough there outside of NL-only leagues to really get excited. You don't think Kesson Hira might get a shot? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> because he was defensively, like, he was not great at second already. Yeah, I mean, there's not really a way to make the pieces fit. Like, you'd have to play somebody out of position to make that happen. So, uh, nope, sorry. <laughs> not- I defer to you on all matters, Brewers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, his his uh, his paths are limited, at least for now, to people missing time from the right side of the infield. Right, if Colton Wong goes down, then I think they could say, "Well, let's let's play Keston at second base. We'll, let's let's take the hit there. We'll we'll be fine." Uh, but I don't think they can shuffle it around to make room for him by putting someone else at third. Uh, Carter Keyboom has a flexor mass strain, I believe. He's out four to six weeks. So not only Definitely does he begin not. the season on the IL, but that just makes it kind of an uphill battle for him to carve out his spot in that improving Nats lineup. I say improving because they they added Nelson Cruz, and that team is quietly a little better at the top half of that lineup. You know, right now, the depth charts say Michael Franco is the next one, but he's in in on a minor league deal, I think. Yep. And there were some rumors early on that Luis Garcia would take shortstop. So what if you, if he has the arm for shortstop, Maybe Luis Garcia plays third, and Alcides Escobar makes the team. Or just let let Garcia play the position that you expect him to play for longest. Let him play short and move put Escobar, Escobar over. over at third. Yeah. Yikes. That's still that's it's a it's a team with a lot of holes for I don't know it's a team with a lot of holes I guess I don't know Swiss for what geez. for expectations I don't know like the you have one of the three best players in baseball on your squad and. Now that one person got hurt, you're wondering how are we even going to cover that? And the, but that person wasn't even that good to begin with. <laughs> that's that's the silver lining. At least it wasn't one of your core five, core six players at the top of the lineup that you you know don't have a lot of great replacements for either. At least it was someone that you had relatively low expectations for. Hopefully for Keyboom's sake, though, he can hit the early part of that timetable and get back at some point, maybe in late April, but probably more likely early May. Uh, you mentioned Zach Wheeler earlier. He threw a 35-pitch bullpen session on Sunday. And I think you're right to not be overly panicked by players talking to the media for the first time in the last 10 days and and kind of catching people up on what they did for the previous three and a half months. Like or if what we had heard that Zach Wheeler had shoulder soreness in January and then we heard in February that he was back on track that like then we would have dealt with it you know what i mean <laughs> the, the the relative effect on where people take him would be smaller in that right. scenario than it is right now where we're just like shoulder right now shoulder it's like no yeah. no look at what he's doing 35 pitches on sunday that gives good. him enough time to be 80ish pitches by opening day i think on a so, normal yeah. schedule that should be fine 
I uh, the next time that I would I would panic is if he gets into a spring training game and someone reports bad velos. Yeah, no, I, I think you you keep the eyes on him for sure. You keep an eye out for every little detail about how he looks and how crisp the stuff is throughout spring training. But I don't think it's full on panic. Avoid Zach Wheeler. I think you compared him to Flaherty previously. I think total different scenario. Like you said, it, that's one where we had a PRP injection. We already shut know he's going to miss opening day. Yeah, he's shut down. He's shut down indefinitely. I, I don't know. At some point, I would say, why not? But he's just basically off my board for the first 10 rounds of a draft right now until we have more information, just because it could be a pretty long road back for him as well. He had a PRP injection, so we'll see if that actually helps speed up that timetable. It's not just him, by the way. Alex Reyes shut down from throwing for four weeks. He's also dealing with a shoulder injury. Uh, we did get some more updates on Lucas Sims. Lucas Sims is behind the Reds' other pitchers and is Art likely out, likely out for opening day. So yeah, Art Warren season is upon us. And I a little prediction for the last kind of couple dominoes here. I would say Manaya to the Cardinals, Montas to the Twins, a Kimbrel to. What do you think? Kimbrel's staying right where he is for a little while. Yeah, you think he's going to open? Oh, God. He's going to stay right there. Oh, God. Where would he go otherwise? He could go to, like, the Padres. They could surprise. They've traded for Kimbrel before. I think once you've done that, you don't do it a second time. <laughs> the Royals? Because the Royals surprise? They, they, they've been doing some weird stuff. They, to me, seem more likely to add another starter than to spend resources adding one reliever but i've been wildly wrong about transaction stuff like this before i could still see the giants doing some sort of vulture thing you know where like they're like yeah we'll come we'll take kimberl off your hands you know you don't have to spend you don't have to pay any of the money we'll give you this guy an a ball (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that could definitely happen do you want to bone (laughs) That's about what they would get back. And actually, eh, that might actually be an interesting fit. Could that be an interesting fit? Help them with their second base situation a little bit? Yeah, because, well, they've got Larry Garcia already. But maybe Dubon has options, so that gives them depth there. They can move up and down. Isn't it fun to scramble to see if a player has options or not? Isn't that one of your favorite things to do in March? (laughs) He does not have options. Oh. No, he has to eat. You know what? Dubon's got to go play for the A's. Oh, they don't have like to a late spring down. training cut. Yep. Yeah, it could totally be something like that. That's that's where he's going. Or or to the White Sox for Kimbrel, just as a money saving device. Yeah, maybe if if they if they see, if they lose a versatile player, it would make a lot of sense too. Uh, Noah Syndergaard throwing without restrictions this spring. Does that change anything for you as far as your have, uh, estimation? I have shares, dude. I have You're in. Whatever the, 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 the approved nomenclature is, I have exposure. Although that sounds weird, too. I have exposure to Noah Syndergaard. No, I did not expose myself to Noah Syndergaard. No, you've drafted Noah Syndergaard on multiple teams. There you go. <laughs> it's a little more wordy, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's just a very simple way to explain what you're doing without like, turning... I've drafted, I've drafted him a bunch because he ends up uh, like being my first bench starter, and I'm like, that's awesome. I love that. I love getting Noah Syndergaard as my first bench starter because then I'm not, I'm not like you know, my season doesn't live or die with him. Yeah, he has not cracked the top 150. Looking at the weekend NFBC drafts that were in the books at the time of this recording, so we could see him creep up a little bit. A healthy spring from Thor would get people excited again because we know when he's healthy, he's generally very good. Uh, Chris Paddock mentioned that he started against the Brewers. I believe that was today, and that start should be over. I wonder what that start looked like. This is These are the types of things that I wish I had. If I ever had help, like extra, extra help to just, like, hey, Siri, like, put Chris Paddock's spring tweets into the rundown for me. Like, if Siri <laughs> could do that, that would help me so much because I remembered that Paddock was pitching today, and I had it all lined up, and I forgot to circle back around because he was so far down on the outline and do we have anything from paddock yet no see, he a... gave up oh keston hero homered off of paddock oh in that case bump here <laughs> sell up, sell up sell five rounds <laughs> bye, and bye, stay bye, away bye. from paddock 
<laughs> I don't I don't know if that's actually fair to anyone involved in the situation. I just thought it was a good thing that Paddock was actually even pitching today because he was a mystery box player as far as where he was going to be at when spring training started and that he's pitching the first time through that at least gives him a chance at yes, being good, good to go for news. a day. Yeah, good health news. Yeah, at least in the in the relative sense, but yeah, you're right. Yep, nothing nothing else other than that right now from the verified Ooh, sources. We did least. it. We did it. Made it we through the rundown. Oh, yeah, and Yanni Chirinos moved to the 60-day oh, IL. Oh, that makes me a little sad, but he had a setback uh, late in September, I think, where he's trying to come back from his second TJ or something, and then he fractured his elbow throwing the ball, which I just don't want to know more about. It sounds like it hurts yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah disappointing okay. for sure. Uh, if you are trying to, find I'd, I'd watch the name. Like if you hear like Yanni Chirinos is is healthy and he's coming up and into the you know maybe into the rotation. Like he he had good stuff when he was pitching. You and I both know that we will be adding Yanni Chirinos to rosters sometime, probably in July. <laughs> we know how this goes. Uh, step three profit. <laughs> I just saw that episode. I don't know if it was South Park where that joke started with the Is underwear it? gnomes. No, it, it's so very step one, randomly. Step two, step three, profit. It's yeah. So there were underwear gnomes taking all the underwear in South Park because <laughs> why wouldn't there be? So of course the kids go to the cave where the gnomes are, and the kids are trying to find out like, well, what what are you going to do with all of our of our underpants? And the gnomes explain it. Step one, collect the underpants. Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. <laughs> like, that must oh. be where it came from. That's, that's like hilarious. season season two of South Park is late 90s. So I yeah. think that could be the original uh, place uh, of that joke. But uh, hopefully we've done our job uh, entertaining you in some way on this episode and catching you up with all the things that have happened. Eno's been running the longest uh, entry in the fantasy baseball space since the athletic became a thing with the transaction tracker. There is a lot to read in there, too, if you want to catch up on moves that way. A lot of words. Tons of words. If you want to catch up uh, with us in the future and ask a question, you can do that at ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com or ask a question in the comment section under this video on YouTube. Be sure to hit the like button if you're watching us over there on Twitter. He's at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening.